Welcome to season four of And the Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with the great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special events, or buy some of our merchandise, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. Oh, and if you enjoy And The Writer Is, please rate and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred podcast listening site is. This week's episode is sponsored by BMI. Full disclosure, Joe and I are both BMI songwriters. So we didn't write this, but we believe it. BMI, we celebrate your talent, value your music, and champion your rights. To all our songwriters and composers, your passion is ours. BMI, music moves our world. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to And the Writer Is. I am your host Ross Golan. Today's world-class songwriter and artist released her debut album 12 years ago. She has since penned songs with some of the biggest pop artists in the world, including One Direction, Niall Horn, Maroon 5, and Five Seconds of Summer. She's claimed the BMI Pop Song of the Year was Shawn Mendes' breakout single, Stitches, and the Juno Awards single of the year was Shawn's There's Nothing Holding Me Back. These two writers have since become inseparable collaborators, having co-produced and co-written the majority of Sean's albums, which basically live at the top of Billboard. But she doesn't stop there. This year, she has released two solo singles and will be releasing a solo album herself. This Buffalo, New York native is not just an LGBTQ role model, but she once acted with Emma Stone and Rain Wilson in The Rocker. Look it up. Anyway, I digress. And the writer is my friend, Teddy Geiger. Hi. Hi. Thank you. That was You're welcome. glorious. I didn't realize you had acted in, in movies until I was paying attention because I've, I've known you as a, as a writer and as an artist. Were you always acting? Did you act when no. you were little? I know. I when I got signed as an artist when I was a baby, I like as a part of the thing they were like go out for this thing like Sony's looking for new Sony artists to be on this show to play a musician and I went in for that role and got that role and then I got another musician role and then I did like a couple years of like going out on fruitless auditions which yeah. was terrible. Why is it terrible? Because I don't want to be an actor. 
So it wasn't great. Like I wanted to be making music, working on making music, and I was doing that all of the time. And then like I'd have to like drive across town, like in rush hour traffic to go to like this thing in Santa Monica at like 4.30. And I didn't prepare for it because I was like working on music. And then like I'd show up and like half-ass do it because I didn't care, but I was obligated. I was 19. And well, then eventually I just was like, I have to leave LA and moved back home just so I to could Buffalo? get- To Buffalo? Yeah, to Rochester. Well, let's, let's go from the beginning. So you, okay. you were born in Buffalo. I know you lived in born Rochester, in Buffalo, obvi- obviously, because we'll get there. Yeah. So you, so you were born in Buffalo. What did your parents do? Were they musicians? My parents, uh, my dad's an electrical engineer. My mom taught earth science and do was siblings? a teacher. My brother, yeah, he he went to school for tech stuff. Just got his first job. Do any He's of them? Very excited! Congratulations! My so. sister's going to art school. Okay. No, no music. My grandparents are musical. What did they do? My grandpa played trombone in like big band stuff. I forget who. Tommy Dorsey is the guy. I don't know. He was big on the in the in the big, big band, band circuit in like yeah. New York, upstate New York. Yeah. So that guy, he played trombone with him. And then my grandpa obsessively rearranges old songs and like combines them with like it, like even now he's 90. And if you go into his room, there's like just like all this sheet music that he prints out. And it's like, it's like all this red pencil and just like, he just like, and then he like never quite figures out how to play it all the way he wants it. But he's like been working on it since since I was, like, born, like, certain songs. He's like, yeah, this one is still not quite right. He's just, like, in it. Whoa. And has, like, this whole... Does he play piano world. and stuff, Yeah, too? he plays piano. Mm-hmm. Well, so there's the music. So do you, why why Rochester? Uh, they have actually a really good music... I know this is weird, but they have a good music scene. E- Eastman's one of the best music schools in the world, so... Yeah. I mean, why Rochester? Your family moved there? My dad got a job there. Yeah. Right. When I was like five or six and we all, we uprooted and moved, or maybe I was eight, something like that. When did you start playing music? I started playing piano when I was really young, like five or six. And I got a guitar when I was like 10 and started like, I started writing like little, my first song was the song Little Tommy Blackbird I wrote on the piano. Can you sing it? No, it was something like Little Tommy Blackbird sitting in a tree. Is like, sure. I, it was like a little melody on the yeah. piano that I'd play and sing. And then like I actually started writing stuff maybe when I was like 10 or 11 and I got like a four-track recorder, Tascam, yeah. and, and the, the Porter Studio, like that one. Yeah. And um, made, started recording stuff that I would write. Well, you know, one of our earlier guests is the great John Ryan. Yes. So this is one of the, the craziest facts of And the Writer is history to me, but you and John Ryan were in a band in high school together. Yeah. The odds of that are infinitesimally small. What When you were in a band with John, did either of you guys realize what was capable in that band? What was? Tell me about meeting... Someone well, like John Ryan at that age, and both of you guys becoming two of the biggest songwriters in the world is just shocking to me. So tell me a little bit about that. 
we first met, I played bass in this ACDC cover band, which like I literally showed up for like 30 minutes to a rehearsal. And then my mom was like, you got to come home. And I never, I didn't see him again until I like auditioned bass on the phone or whatever. Showed up, did that. Then I saw him again freshman year of high school. We ended up going in the same high school. And like, I was like, oh, John, like, remember I came over that one time and played bass and the thing. And he was like, oh, yeah. And then he like gave me his demo, which was called Deke. It's like a, I think there were 12 something songs on there. D E E K. We just listened to it the other night. Was Very it good? good. Yeah. Uh. And I was like, sick. did he play all the instruments on it? Or do you remember? Yeah. No, yeah. he played everything and had yeah. like a, a like a multi-track recorder as well. Sure. And then like I gave him some stuff I'd worked on and we like traded demos. Were you and re- then... were your demos being on the Tascam stuff? Well, yeah, but then I, I would I would get them off the Tascam via sound recorder and then put them on CDs. Right. Um What so, was your band what was your band called? It was called Faction. Okay. But before that, we spent like so much time. Like he'd come over or whatever, and we just like make random stuff that wasn't even band stuff. And then like after a year or so, then it developed into like okay, we got a bass player, and and then that was like more defined sound. Did you want to be a professional musician, or is that not really something you think about at that point? I remember like sitting in class and being like, "Yo, I did," but I also didn't. I don't know. I remember like sitting in class with him at some point and being like, dude, our band's like so much better than a lot of these bands that get signed. Like, and bands are getting signed that we could get signed. Yeah, exactly. But like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but I, I thought that with my bandmates, some who listen to this, so shout out to you guys. But when my high school band, when uh, we tried to play music recently in the last 10 years. Yeah. And just not really up to par for what you, it's like we were, I think we thought we were maybe better than we were. You guys maybe. were actually better. No, than but at the time, <laughs> you know? at the time, like getting signed wasn't, you know, in like 2000, from like the, like 1990 in, in to like 2005, yeah. like, yeah. People got signed. Like you could like have an okay thing, and it'd be like we're signed. Like it was still kind of like that boom, like coming yeah. off the eighties and all that shit. And it, like the digital shit hadn't like completely like taken over. You know, like like it was just happening. Like the nerds at school would burn you a CD, but not like everybody knew how to steal music yet. So yeah. it's like they were still making so much money that it was just like I feel like. It was just like you hear some bands and you're like, oh shit. Like even like what's the what's the band? I mean, and it's really good, but the It's like when you listen to that and how that's recorded, you're like, I mean, it's good, but also like it's not like like and then you listen like what's on the radio today. And it's like it, like the 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 bar of like how shit has to sound has just been like raised. Like it used to, you could make some shit in your bedroom and like it would be on the radio. Like I mean, you still can, but what you can make in I don't know, you know what I'm saying? I think sure, sure. Like, it's, like that song sounds like it was recorded on like like a Fostex, like little like like digital four track with like the effects on it. I don't know who recorded someone probably I mean, amazing the, recorded it. Like, <laughs> at the time, yeah. But at the time you needed, you know, you need outboard gear 
to you didn't yeah. have computers that emulated compressors and and being yeah. able to record <laughs> even a fake studio in now you know sort of sounds pretty good because you can you know yeah. GarageBand is on everybody's phone and it has compressors in it right so it can emulate a studio and right. yeah i mean at the time i think you could record stuff but not everybody knew how to use it also kids now i don't even know if they a, a lot of people don't study trombone to start they get computers and become djs and so they right. start producing when they're growing up so yeah and there's so much you know, information online about how to yeah you know like like but before i guess where you'd have to like be the apprentice of somebody who works in a studio and is like knows how to do everything. Yeah, now you can kind of go online. There's like Pensado's place or like yeah, like so many places to get little tips. And when tricks. did you record or write a song with faction or on your own? Where you're like, this is not just you know, you as you say, you were sitting in class. This my music's as good as what I'm hearing on the radio. I could do this. I can get a record deal. Was there a song, or were there songs where you started thinking, you know, this is this is the real deal? And you know, obviously, you kind of get discovered around that age, right? Mm-hmm. So, how do you get discovered? What happened? My mom forced me to do a reality show called "In Search of the Partridge Family," and I didn't want to go because. I would have had I had to go like be away from my girlfriend and I also thought it was cheese ball to be on a reality show called In Search of the Partridge Family but she m- kind of made me do it cuz like cuz I was spending all my time doing music and it was like I was like sleeping through all my classes and like staying up and working on music and like kind of like clearly devoted to it and so she was like we have to make something happen with music because it seems like that is either going to happen or like we're like really going to have to figure something out. So I think she was like, cool, this is like a way to funnel all of that. And then I met Billy Mann, who's songwriter, producer, who was working behind the scenes on that show and sent him a bunch of like my demos and stuff. And then he brought me to meet like Donnie Einer and Charlie and Will Botwin at Columbia Records. And then that was kind of the thing. And then he was like, let me make a record with this kid and let's see what happens. And they were like, cool, like here's some money and we made it. That's crazy. But you're all in, you're in high school still. Yeah, I was a junior. What did the people in your band think? Nick John? Yeah, sure. Or any of I mean any of your friends. I mean, how crazy is it to be a junior in high school and be oh, I'm going to make an album with a major label cuz I went out on an audition for I don't know. You know. I think they thought it was cool. What did you think? I know I had a hard time processing all of it. How do you think of it now? I don't. Uh-huh. You know. I, I never really thought about it too much. I was like, cool, I want to do this, let's go. Like, Sure. But I don't think I like ever could. And like, even when I heard like my song on the radio for the first time or like when I'd see myself in publications and stuff, it would kind of like go through me. I'd feel like I was like listening to it on a CD that I made that I burned. Like I, it never like clicked that it's like, oh shit, this is like... I mean, it got... Per- it, it- it got big. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was obviously really successful. It, it 
you know, the your debut album ends up being top ten on Billboard, and I mean, you have a single that went gold. I mean, you must have gone. I mean, that must be just nuts to be in high school and playing. It was weird. Sold out places and yeah. Who's touring with you? Like, are you with your family? I mean, no, it was you're not me. even eighteen yet, right? No. Yeah, I, I started touring and doing all that when I was sixteen. Did you think about writing with other people or for other people at that time? I always kind of looked up to Billy and what he did and was like, oh, I'd like to do that eventually because I didn't love touring. I know who Billy is, but why don't you yeah. say who Billy is? Oh, Billy, He's man. icon. He's an icon, record producer, songwriter. He's like done a bunch of stuff with labels and publishers as well and is sick. Done a bunch of stuff with Pink. Done a bunch of stuff. When I met him, he had just done that song with you with Jessica Simpson and done stuff with Celine Dion and... Yeah, huge. Yeah. So, I mean, you have, obviously, the, the song starts working, the album's working. Um, did you think about, did you finish high school? No. Did you ever feel pressure to? My mom wanted me to, and I, like, attempted it, and I just couldn't. It was like, because I was juggling all this other stuff, and then it was like... Like, am I really going to go home? And, like, I had to, like, do a phys ed. I had needed, like, a phys ed credit. And I needed, like, like all this stuff. Basically, I took all my regents exams, like, all my state exams, passed all of them, but needed, like, a citizenship course and, like, needed to do another English course. And, like, I just couldn't. I, I have, like, pretty bad ADD. And it's, like, I had enough hard enough of a hard time, like, completing tasks as is. And so to, like, try and do that around, like waking up and like doing radio and doing this other thing and like to try and like slide in a tutor that like and tutors are like no I thought it would be like cool yeah I do the tutor for an hour and they like sign off on my shit and I'm done no they're real teachers no yeah they like they like try to whip you into shape especially when you're like yeah did you ever treat ADD with something other than I used to take Adderall yeah and I I I stopped why because it was too something. I liked it. And it would help with certain tasks going into things, but also it would get... Now I just drink a lot of coffee, and that mm. kind of can work and mm. not work, but it was so like... I don't know. Like if I play stuff that I made while I was taking Adderall, it's like lots of like small little chops and well-organized drums and like... Super meticulous and yeah, it's whereas whereas I, I yeah, it's not as flowy. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, between two thousand six and two thousand ten, you know, you release your debut album and then you start working on your next EP. But there's a lot of time between, and even then, you know, two thousand thirteen is really like the, you know, the next time I really see stuff on your. Um, on your resume, but there's a lot of time that happens between 2006 and 2010, if not 2006 and 2013. What happens? I mean, when do you move to to L.A.? Tell me what happens during those years. I moved to L.A. when I was 18. I moved back in with my dad when I was 20, 21. So your parents were divorced at that point? Mm-hmm. Okay. They'd just gotten divorced, and I was kind of like, I'm going to jump back in and absorb my divorced parents situation. <laughs> why why would you do that? Um I don't know. 
It just seemed like the right thing to do. And I wanted to get out of L.A. And I wasn't doing anything to make any money. And I had some money saved, but, like, wanted to just buy myself some time and, like, redirect. So I moved back in with him and, like, set up this little studio room that I slept in. And just for, like, seven or eight months, just kind of wrote, which was awesome. And then I tried to move back out to L.A. and lived with a friend for a little while. And then was like, eh, screw this. Nothing's happening out here for me and moved to New York. And I kind of started working with this producer, Mark Saunders there, who's awesome. He's he's mixed a bunch of stuff for like David Byrne and, and The Cure and stuff. And, and um, my manager now, Ollie, was managing him and kind of like he had this amazing studio in New York and I was able to like use that and then... Um, Ollie started managing me as a writer-producer because that was kind of very much so my goal at that point was was to produce and write. Um, and then that kind of turned into me doing sessions again. And then something that I wrote with John and Julian ended up on the One Direction album, that song Little Black Dress. And that kind of like opened the door... With Big Deal, who's what my year publisher. Is that? that was I don't know. So you're <laughs> going from um, I'm gonna I'm living in my parents' place. You were doing some. That's when a lot of the acting stuff was too. That between was after like, when you lived with your parents. No, no, but but, but I lived. The, in, the I moved acting in, stuff was after. Though. Yeah, I right, kind of right, moved right. back in to get out of LA. Doing like to just be uh, like I'm only going to write and work on music like. You're done on that. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. Not doing any acting. Also, like, I don't want to go in with, like, these people that think I want to be an artist. Like, I don't want to be, like, cutting outside songs and, like, I don't want to be an artist right now. Or, like, I don't want people to put their version of what I should be as an artist on to what, like, I just need time to, like, make shit and, like, play with sounds and... Does that change how you work with artists who are signed? Yeah. No, because, like, the, the big thing is when you go in as an artist, people assume you don't know how to do... I mean, not any of the people that I've... You know, we're all great. This this crew has been amazing. But when I was an artist before, so many people, I should say, you go in and they, they're like, oh, you're an artist and you're coming to me, so you must not know... What you want. What you want or what you're doing or... And some artists don't, but some artists do. And some artists don't, but they need to figure it out and they don't need something just like... I was getting so much just like shoved down my throat because I didn't... And the other thing is I didn't know what I wanted. It's not like I was coming in like, this is what I want. But also like I knew what I didn't want and I knew what... I knew what I liked... And I was just kind of getting forced into these situations where I felt like I had to go along with stuff that wasn't. And I just really wanted time to like get my hands dirty and like play with stuff and like figure out how to do what I want to end up doing, you know? That era in the middle of the 2000s too is a lot of uh, award shows, or not award shows, uh, talent shows and... And there's a huge push from, you know, Disney and Nickelodeon. So there are all these singers, but no artists. True. And so when you, there was this living that people were making by 
just being like, oh well let's just get let's just get a song on this album exactly the yeah. album was you know and there were their albums were still selling and it just mattered to get on a singer's album and you could just tell them what to do because most of them had just won a talent contest they weren't getting they weren't getting the record deal because they were they were writing music in their room learning how to use the equipment and getting their hands dirty they were getting they wanted to get famous right so that's a whole other yeah you know and i think everyone mixes those humans up yeah they don't really understand that you know? Right. It's kind of like, oh, kid, you want to be famous? I got a song. It's like, yeah, as opposed to like, okay, let's like... So I always like to start in the other place. And then if it's the other kind of person, then it's like, oh, cool. Well, we're not going to do much anyways. So you end up doing... You write Little Black Dress with, you know, John and Julian. Yeah. Did you call John and say, no, I'm getting back into it? Like, we should do this? Or have you no, guys no. always kept in touch? We always kept in touch. Like, when I was living at home with my parents, I used to go drive and visit him at Berkeley. And yeah. we'd, like, make stuff. And so he was working with Julian in Calabasas. So anytime I'd be out in L.A., I would, like, just go hang out with them and, like, make stuff. And that came out of, like, we made, like, a five-song, like, rock EP just for fun one week. We were all hanging out and... It's like a Led Zeppelin. There's probably not thing. a more fun crew to do something like that because no. there's the no shortage of uh, of references and ideas and talent to say, oh no, let's do this, and you just jump straight into it. Yeah. An hour later, you know, this vibe is incredible. We literally did it. They were just live jams. Like I was playing bass, John was playing guitar, Julian was playing drums. And we'd just jam until we'd have a vibe and then we'd like put it down and then we had like all the little vibes and we wrote lyrics to them and melodies after we recorded them. Are they um, are they playing on your current stuff at all? Did no. you write with them at all for that? That's just all me. Because yeah. the whole point of that for me was kind of to like make something on my own because oh, I do we'll, so much. We'll get, we'll get there because okay. that's like, obviously that's, that's an exciting thing. This week's episode is sponsored by BMI. At BMI, music moves their world just like it moves mine. BMI is my performing rights organization. They're the bridge between people who create music like me and the businesses that bring it to the public. They make sure I get paid when my music is streamed on apps or shows, played on radio, at live shows or in bars, gyms, basically anywhere where music is played. And they do this for over 900,000 songwriters, composers, and music publishers with more than 14 million songs across genres. But it's more than that. They help us navigate the music industry. They create opportunities for aspiring writers and composers through stages at festivals, song camps, and workshops. And they connect us with the right people. They're also on Capitol Hill fighting for copyright protection and fair royalties. And they work hard to ensure the future of music. They have my back and they'll have yours. Learn more at BMI.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So you sell just a shitload of records because you end up on One Direction kind of like right in the prime. Yeah, that was... And then you end up on more One Direction, right, still in their prime. And then maybe the craziest single for Stitches to work as well as it did is shocking. If nothing else, you have a a kid who gets a record deal off of Vine. Uh You have people who have cuts, but it's not loaded with like... It's not like Max Martin's on it. And it's not, you know, it's not these crazy, it's not even Jul- Julian and John at the time. You know, it's right. like everyone, you have cuts, but to go and be like, I'm going to have the single on a guy's debut song. Well, re- I know we had a song before that, but really kind of the first radio song. Exactly. And it lived on the charts for, I believe, oh, well over a year on some chart, well over a year. And on, you know, iTunes, something like two, almost two years or something like that. The song, uh, it wins BMI Song of the Year. It's over six times platinum. You know, number one on on top 40, adult top 40, uh, and AC charts, and UK singles. I mean, how does that song become that big? I have no idea. Does it make you question everything when you're like, why? Because whenever there's a hit song that I've been a part of, it's like, of course that's how that was supposed to work. But, you know, on some level, it's like there's no, you you can't predict any of it. Right. It's so unpredictable. That's the cool thing, though. That's the cool thing. It's like, it is so unpredictable. Even with like the little black dress song that ended up on the 1D thing, we weren't like, Let's write a song for 1D. And like with Stitches, it's not like, let's, you know, it was me and Danny Parker started the song and like we were in David Silberstein's office and I had a laptop and we like wrote the first verse and chorus and kind of like called it a day and we're like, cool. And then showed up the next day and DJ uh, Kirikidis joined us, Daylight, and we finished second verse and produced it out and finished the bridge. Um, and then it was like, cool, you know, like another song, like like just like the other hundred songs we wrote this year so far. Right. And then, you know, it was like, okay, well, this dude, Sean Mendez, is going to have a crack at cutting it. And it's like, okay, awesome. Like, you guys do your thing and... Then I met Sean and we we actually cut it with him and he seemed amazing. Um, but still, I wasn't like, oh, this is going to be the thing, you know? like Watching that song become what it did for an artist and having been an artist, did it make you want to 
record music again as an artist? Or was it, oh, I always want to write songs with other people? No, it was like, yay. Yeah. Because something like that, and like you were saying, it's not like there was like a Max Martin attached to it or something where it was like, um, it kind of like everybody who was involved with the song because we were all kind of in this place where it was like we're doing stuff but nobody's like busted out or yeah. has their, you know, has their like, oh, you know, it, it kind of turned into this like, okay, I don't know. It's like there's more of like, okay, let's go to them for more songs and more stuff because yeah. we were the core of what made that song happen as opposed to like, you know, if it was like a song I wrote with Max or something and then it's like, well, that, okay, Max. And then like this other, who's this other person? Like, Is something happened around that era where I feel like that's when our whole sort of extended family in the industry all started. Well, I had just hit, met you at, at that the same studio. Time. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy that it all happens right at the same time. Cause it's not like it really was kind of a bunch of no names, but a lot of people who were in bands together or not together, but just a lot of people in yeah. bands. And I think maybe that's why is that we all saw, we all knew what it was like to be in, in some project where we had to perform. So I think we yeah. all see songwriting from a, uh, in a way, even though I think we're all pretty analytical and have become more analytical, yeah. I think we all joined it because we didn't want to be in bands anymore. But we, <laughs> you know? yeah. and, and but we just, could, but we didn't want to. Like we wanted to jam out. We wanted to write from like a, a yeah. friend of a friend of friend vibe rather than from a let's see if we can make platinum records. It was more like let's see if we can hang out and write a song that's cool. Yeah. It's like you know? how how long can I keep the game of like hanging out with my friends, writing music, like going and just have people let me do that. And yeah. like that's what all I really have to do. Like yeah. that's that's my game today. Um, okay, so then uh, more Sean Mendes, and the reason why this is crazy is he's now, you know, arguably one of the top artists in the world, and uh, you guys spend so much time together. I don't think people realize how much time it takes to record and write an album. You know, they just see the ten or twelve songs on an album. They don't realize. Yeah. You know, the effort. But you go and you guys write Illuminate together, at least uh, uh, the majority of the songs, including There's Nothing Holding Me Back and Mercy and Treat You Better. Um, at this point, are you guys kind of expecting songs to work? Um, or is it sort of irrelevant whether it worked? For me, it's always relatively irrelevant. Uh. I like it to work and I get nervous later, like before they come out, but like while we're making them, yeah, I wasn't really, you know, also like we're writing them and playing them for Ziggy, the A&R and, and uh, Sean's manager, Andrew. And like, they're like, yeah, this is great. This is going to work. So I'm like, cool. You guys know you. Okay. That's what you do. Great. Right. Yeah. That's your great. Okay. Trust you. Uh, yeah. But I'm it, always kind of like, eh, it's another song, you know? Like, I can tell when a song is like more catchy, obviously, or like if it feels more like hooky to me or whatever. But I. One of the worst words in the music business is hit ish. 
And someone's like, oh, it's a little more hit-ish. Or it's like, we feel like it's a smash. Or those two things I hate. But like when you're writing all the time, there's some songs where I really like this, guys. Yeah, I know I like, like the it. kind of hype that, <laughs> that, that, you know, you're not really the type to be like, there's a smash. Oh, yeah, you're, no. You know, you're like, I've, I really like this. But you know when you, what, the best is when you like it and it's also it ha- and it's hooky, because it has to be hooky, not like hitish or whatever or smash. Yeah. But like the best is when it's good and makes you feel something, but also has there's like that fucking earworm shit. One of one of my favorite songs that was a single for the for the for music. And was not really like a radio thing was when Ricky Reed released Express Myself. Cool. I love that song. Not just because I love Ricky, but there's something about that song that I feel like had meant something more to him. And it was was one of those moments where you start realizing that we as songwriters and as producers still want to release music that means something to us. Yeah. You know? Um, I don't know. Tell me about that song. It's kind of, I know it's super random for me to bring that song, but no, I love that chill. song. That was amazing working with it. We did we did a bunch of days kind of around like making stuff for him, and that was something I had like started this little idea nugget, which Ricky's so good at like taking like a, like you know I'll send him all the time like little ideas and whatever, and he'll kind of like turn it into something amazing. But that was one of those where it was just like this little kind of like chord progression drum loop thing. Um, and he was like, that's cool. We should work on it. And then I, I don't quite remember, but we did a couple days finishing it up and he kind of produced it out. And it's so good. I was hanging out. I don't really I know. Um, <laughs> but I love it. As you're starting to write, and now you start having just a bunch of releases, you know, just every year, it's just, you know, just so many songs. Do you have any personal life at this point? Yeah. Like, were you good at at socializing? I I'm feel okay. like when I was working most, I was that was something I had to work to balance. I don't know. Well, for me... You know, like like my idea of having a good time in high school is like hitting up John and being like, yo, do you want to come over and make a song? Yeah. You know, so it's in a lot of ways, like my friend group are the people that I work with. Sure. Right. So it feels like I'm seeing my friends like, you know, and then like I'll get like, you know, me and Danny now like live near each other. So I'll like grab breakfast with him or. Sure. See people for breakfast. I've been getting better. You know what helped a lot? Quitting smoking weed. Because I oh. used to stay at home and smoke all the time. So quitting weed, you smoked a lot. Oh, yeah. You, you smoked a lot for a while. Yeah, I'd like go through like one of those jars I gave you like every day. Because you had it or because you were addicted to it? Like, or is that the same thing? Because I smoked it compulsively. Yeah. Why? Because it was great. No, I mean, I love weed. Weed's great. I can't smoke it because I smoke it compulsively. A, I have like OCD. Uh-huh. Um, so it just, it was like a behavioral thing. And with smoking, it's like somewhat of an addiction, but maybe not quite addiction, like more compulsive. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was like suppressing like gender identity stuff. Because when I started talking to like people I know, and like 
divulging all those things, it became a lot easier to not smoke. Interesting. When yeah. did you start? Tell me more about that. When did you did you start smoking? You think to suppress certain things, or do you think it was, you know, I I started smoking because it's amazing. <laughs> it's really a creative thing. I mean, yeah, rubber soul. I mean, it's it's that's what happens after they started smoking weed. Don't smoke it. Yeah. No. I mean, my <laughs> sister actually she she started smoking a little bit, and I told her like, just be careful. Also, be careful because like. For me, it totally, like, it can get out of control Mm -hmm. and it can be something that, like, is a limitation and is is more, like, harmful to your life experience or, like, more of a pain in the ass, really, than anything else. Like, I used to just, it was so stressful keeping the whole thing going and having to buy the weed and smoke the weed and, like, I couldn't sit down for more than 30 minutes without, like, having to roll another joint. But, like... Yeah, it's really time consuming. It gets so time consuming. But <laughs> you probably it, have a lot of free time. Like people who yeah. can smoke like once every couple of weeks or whatever and have an experience and like do their thing, like that is great. It's like people who smoke cigarettes who are like, Oh, I need to quit and I'm like, Well, how much do you smoke? And they're like, I smoke when I go out on the weekends. I'm like, You don't need to quit. They keep smoking. That's great. Like, don't feel ashamed of that. Like you're doing great. Like I mean, if you want to quit, that's different. But don't be like, I should quit because it's like, it's like, do you want to quit? Is it like destroying your life or is it like something that's fun that you do on the weekend with friends? It's like, don't, don't worry about it. Sure. Is it a vice or is it an addiction or two different things? Exactly. Kind of thing? It's like, yeah. I used to wake up at like six in the morning to smoke cigarettes and, and I would smoke until right before I went to bed. I would like pound, you know, like three, four cigarettes. And then again, like wake up at like four in the morning, five in the morning, smoke. How did you sing? Did it destroy your no, voice? No, you just get used to it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Pro- almost, Bodies yeah. are like awesome. Um, so tell me more about the suppressing gender identity and getting, you know, quitting weed and and how all that rolled out for you. Because I mean, you have a unique story in this. Yeah. Well, I kind of came to a point where I was like, I'd tried so many times to quit. And I'd come to a place where it would be like this, okay, I don't like doing this anymore. I want to quit. And then at some point I'd kind of just forget and like start doing all the stuff again. And then I, I went to treatment. Um, my mom like suggested that I look at maybe going to treatment and I was like, okay, well. And I looked at a couple of places and ended up going to a place out here and went into their like OCD program because I also like had a bunch of OCD behaviors that were like popping up like some whatever skin picking stuff and other stuff. So I did that and while I was there kind of was like, okay, I want to get to the bottom of why is it so hard for me to quit smoking? Like what's going on with like all this gender shit that has been like a part of my life since I was so young and I'm like not I haven't been super comfortable talking about it I talked about it with therapists before but like never really gotten anywhere and like kind of told my parents about it because like I was like painting my nails and like dressing in some women's clothes and my mom was like are you androgynous and I was like androgynous is like a descriptor it's not like something that you are like if you Mm -hmm. think I'm androgynous then I am it's not like it's like are you attractive 
It's like, <laughs> I don't know, mom, do you think, what would you... I, the, right, it's just an adjective, it's not... Yeah. yeah. Um, so whatever, there it was kind of like... How old were you when you first realized it? Whether you could verbalize it or like not? Like five. Yeah. Um, and maybe it was like, not until I was like 20 that I really like... I was dating a girl who was going to NYU and like within that friend group, there were people who were less kind of like, I don't know if I even met anybody who was trans, but at least people who were like. They weren't black and white about it. it yeah. The yeah. gender line was blurred and yeah. it was like, oh, cool. They're just like living that. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, And I kind of like learned that trans people, trans trans people existed around that time as like a thing and that same girl like I'd talk to I I kind of would open up to like whoever I was dating about it because it would be such a part of like my personal life that anybody who I was like bringing in close enough like would kind of have to know or I, I'd, I'd feel like I was keeping too much from them um did you find that most people that you were got close enough that you would let them in that they were you know, that they were accepting? Yeah, they were relatively accepting. Yeah. Um, but just, like, little things would then clash because, you know, like, they'd kind of sign up to be dating a man and then it would be like, yeah, but, like, you're not really dating a right. man necessarily. Sure. Yeah. When you, when you go to um, treatment, you start talking about it and then you explain what the next steps are. And then it becomes, you know, I mean, I would think that the songwriting community has been like totally accepting that you're you know, like at least your friends. Like, oh, yeah. No, I feel like this is like the most comfortable place that you could be yourself. You 100%. know, that's kind of the whole purpose of it. Like most of us became musicians and songwriters because we didn't fit in normally anyway. Right. <laughs> so it's like, you know, but tell me about the process of, of coming, of not only coming out as trans, but to go through the the changes and the process and all that. Um, well, so basically I, I kind of, one of the things, well, there's an OCD thing that's like ruminating about being gay or like, trans or whatever like like that can be a thing that's OCD so basically in treatment I ruled that out and they were like no this seems like real stuff like and I was like oh okay then let me like sort this out and I learned a lot about like how shame works and blah 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 so I was like you know shame thrives on secrecy so like maybe I'll tell like I was really a lot of the people I'd met more recently I would be more comfortable because they'd met me since like I was painting my nails and they've met me since Whatever. So, like, uh, be more logical. But then, like, my friends, like, John, who I've known since I was 12, like, that's where I felt like, oh, my God, I, I like, I've known them in a different way for so long. Um, so they were, like, the first people that I kind of came out to. And I was just like, look, like, I've felt... Like, I, you know, me being trans might be a thing for a long time and I might actually look at, like, taking hormones and, like, seeing 
what the next steps would be to like explore that. And I just kind of wanted to like bring you into the loop and like talk to you about it. And then as soon as I did that, I was like, oh yeah, no, I'm like, that's, I'm going to do it. Cause I yeah. kind of said it in the, I texted them and I, and I wrote out this text that was like, I think I might look yeah. and they were, they were very accepting and were like, like yeah, cool. Like it was kind of <laughs> right, like, exactly. Sure, yeah. What, like in in a, you know, it's it's almost anticlimactic whenever the rest of the world, you know, everyone has yeah. their own life going on. So they're like, yeah, they're oh, like, cool, whatever. nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're sitting there like brewing over like, it, and Fuck, everyone. Else, this is like, yeah, this is no, been, no, like, no, guys, this is huge. You're like, yeah, it's totally huge. But like, sure, awesome. yeah, like, do it. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Good. We got you back. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. So then, yeah, after that, it, it became like, okay. Did you find yourself, I mean, it seems relatively quick that people talk to you about being a role model for this community. Yeah. That's a big jump from, I'm going to tell some friends, to now you're, you know, yeah, a role model, a, spo- a spokesperson, you know? Wow. D- on some level, whether well, you know, what I think what it I think what it is is at least for me, you know, like there 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 were people that have come out and you know like like Hari Neff or Teddy. I've always never know how to say her freaking last name, but I like her. Her name's Teddy. Okay. Quinn Quinn Levon Quinn Quinn Levin Quinn. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but her. Um, you know, and just like seeing people come out and be accepted is huge. And I think, and it, it was huge for me. And so I think even just the act of me coming out and being accepted by the community that I'm in and continuing to work with all these people and feeling like I can be a person and, and kind of let all this that's been a part of me, like, put it out there, I think even just that is like can be inspiring to people. Yeah. Not even that I that I have to do much, you know, it's like just doing just that I think is yeah. Absolutely. Cause I'm not I'm not much of a I don't know. I don't like attention. It's amazing how much irony is in that considering um I think people would be surprised how much how many artists artists in the broader sense. Yeah. But certainly musician artists don't really like attention. They like writing music. <laughs> yeah. And they want the world to hear the music because they like the music. But it's not about... It's not really about the attention. Oh, totally. It's so hard to explain that to people that... <laughs> song, songwriters and artists aren't always... Yeah. Ex- even if they're on stage being loud and jumping around and dancing and stuff, when you're with those people off stage... A lot of them are reclusive or they're quiet, be, not because, um, you know, maybe they go on stage because of anxiety and they actually like being in front of people because they they need it for to, to help with anxiety. It's mm-hmm. like the opposite of what you think the purpose is, you know? Sure. Um, that said, so, you know, right during all this, you work on the Shawn Mendes album titled, Self-Titled, which... You end up with 11 songs on it, including In My Blood, which is my wife's favorite song. Um, we listen to that a lot. Album debuts mm-hmm. number one. 
you end up continuing on this Sean Mendez train. Mm-hmm. And because this, you end up with more involved with Sean on this. And it's the first album that really comes out with you being yourself mm-hmm. as a human. Did do you think that's why it's so successful? Do you think like you're a sort of I mean obviously Sean is a successful artist but do you feel like you were able to be different as a as an artist um, as a producer as a writer? Well, no, I think it's a lot of it is successful because of how Sean works I th- and how hard he works. Um I I definitely would not have been able to do the work that I did had I been had I done it two years ago. Not even just just because like there was so much going on with me personally, so much smoking, so much this and that. Like I literally wouldn't have been able to sit in the chair and, and produce focus. everything right. that I did. So right. like just being more focused, being more, you know, everything um allowed me to do it. Cause it ended up being a lot of work. It's it's the only record that I've ever like produced. You know, I did I didn't do every song, but I did all except for like two or three on there pr- production I mean, which which crazy. is the most they've done even just in a year on on other stuff you know the year before i did like four of the songs on illuminate that i produced and then you know maybe did like two other things that kind of just happened to work out from like demos the day of but it was the first time i was like okay i have to get whatever like 14, 15 songs done. How and do you, then written, then how do you down feel about being the, you know, it's a different sort of pressure being the main kind of producer of something. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? I, yeah, I love it. I love, I love doing production stuff and like, that's like what, that's kind of always been the goal. Sure. Um, and like I love writing and stuff too, but I I I I love I love sounds. I love playing with sounds. I love like Scott Harris, who we'll get to later. I was love Scott. showing. What was that? I love Scott. Yeah, your main co-writer with Sean. Yeah, you know, if not even outside of that, but you know, Scott showed me. He didn't show me. He was telling me about the the voice notes that Sean sends. Oh yeah, and how he's gotten. He's at the point in his life where he's so creative mm-hmm. because he's just like cells are splitting still. Yeah. And then it's just like it's almost hard to keep up with good ideas. Mm-hmm. Tell me about working with Sean Mendez. Dude. Okay. Uh, I don't know. He's so fucking talented is kind of where to start. It's like he picks things up so fast. He's super creative. It's like, you know, when I met him, he had just learned to play the guitar like a few months before. And now this isn't even like that many years later. And like, he's playing on every single record. And like, I don't know, you know, like he'll pick up, he picked up the drums while we were working on this last record in like a few days. And like, and, and, and the other thing about him is he really knows like, what he wants things to sound like. And in working with him, it's like he he like feels it or 
or not kind of, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and he'll know when things don't feel right and he knows how to like make suggestions to get it where it's feeling right, which like makes my job a lot easier too because it's not like, well, it's like, like I we, can we do what I'm doing. When you were in LA as an artist and where you were like not totally sure what you didn't want or being yeah. what you liked and it's different than somebody who's able to communicate that. Right. You know. And then I can do what I do and then, you know, he'll light up at one thing and it'll be like, oh, cool, like, let's go over there. And then he does something and it's like, okay, amazing. Yeah, like, put that down in it. I don't know. I just feel the energy with him feels so good and, like, he's so legit and just, like, knows. I don't know. It just feels good. It feels like it's the right thing. I want to go to the next segment, but before that, you know, just your year so far... Not only that, but to work with Leon Bridges, who's amazing, and this Five Seconds of Summer album's totally legit. Yeah, you know stuff on a lot of these things. Christina Aguilera, you know, really impressive. How many songs you have out as a co-writer? But I really want to get, uh, I really want to hear about your project. Okay, you know? tell yeah. me about it. Well, um. What do you want to know? I mean, what's it like to... I've been working on a project for a long time where it's really important that I have a hundred... that I write a hundred percent of the lyrics and melodies. Okay. For me, this was like the first time where I can be like, okay, this is what I sound like as me. Yes. Um, I'm not a very good producer and I happen to work with Ricky Reed, who's an icon. Yeah. So, um, you know, to... He allows me to be the writer I want to be in this format, and it's inc- it's incredible to have that. But to me, what matter? I just wanted to have something that, as a lyricist and as a melody writer, this is mine. Yeah, something that I'm willing to slave over to show this is this is what I want to. Yeah, you know what I want to be. Um, so that really that's really sort of the point of what you're doing. Yeah, you said it. You know, and I'm. I don't know. I mean, we don't really get that many shots at it unless we take them. Yeah. You know what I mean? A lot nobody's offering it. No Yeah. You you have to do it. Yeah, and you that's have to like make a it. that takes time, it takes a risk and it's vulnerable. Right. And especially when you don't really want the magnifying glass on you but you just want to set the record straight in a way. Totally. <laughs> it's know? yeah, cuz cuz yeah, cuz we're involved in so many different things and then it's like but when I'm kind of left alone in a room like this is what I yeah like you want people to know what you sound like and I don't know why I just do <laughs> like I'm because like they're the sounds I like and they're like what I like I like to make it and hear it and I don't know I just want people to hear it why did you know. start doing it I mean when in the middle of you're doing all these records and you're gonna go oh, take a lot time of it's away. old oh really Mm-hmm. I, I kind of made it. Some of them are like from 2011. They're like all demos that I've had sitting around and a couple things that I did like over the past two, three years. Um, Doesn't it make you want to follow it up with sort of what you would sound like now? Exactly. Yeah. But but a lot of it is kind of... So what I did was I took them and um, when I was done with the Sean album, I kind of took some time off to like recuperate. Um, and just take some time off and not make stuff. But then I ended up making, basically, I, I I I had these demos in a folder that I was like, oh, all these would sound good together. And 
I kind of just found all the different sessions and opened them up and like replaced a bunch of the drums with like sounds that I would use now and like cut guitars on them so they all kind of have similar like palette of guitar stuff throughout and I put some piano on them and one I completely like redid and just kept the vocals and finished it like an album because after I'd done the Sean thing I was like oh cool like making an album like think about it like this or whatever and I kind of did the same thing with those demos um and finished it up and yeah now and I also imagine like oh cool like if I can do something with this then that'll create more of an opportunity for me to have more time to do more because things do get busy but like if I have like stuff out and there's like um I can like generate something with that then like that can create more time for me the same way like by writing songs for other people, I've been able to create more time for me to write songs for other people. Yeah, they all create. feed each other. Yeah. I think what's cool is when you when you really write music for yourself, that there isn't a time limit on it because no one else was releasing it. So if you were, you know, if you look at a song from 2011 or a song from now and it's really you and then there, it was never dated because no one else releases your music. Right. Does that make sense? I know that's totally. kind of weird, but... But it would be cool to have somebody be like, here's a chunk of money and make your record. Be yeah. Like, okay, cool. Because then it would be nice to like be obligated to make my own music. Do you think that's what this is going to lead towards? I don't know. Yeah. That'd be cool, though. I'll sign you. Second. It's a deal. <laughs> All right, this next segment, I'm going to list five people. Just tell me the first thing that comes off the top of your head. We already did Sean pretty much, okay. um, but he's on the list, so I'll give you another crack at it. Sean Mendez. Genius. Casey Robison. Oh, just the best. Everybody I know, I know because of Casey. I love that you mentioned um, Silberstein and Casey because, you know, they're both... Uh, they're both producers of the podcast. Yeah. And they're both longtime friends of ours. And yeah. they do their job as well as anybody on the planet. It's amazing. You know. I've never, yeah. I, I always tell never. people this, but you know Casey and I were on the same floor freshman year of college. Yes. That's my, it's amazing. That's my favorite tidbit about Casey. I can I see, see it. it all the time. Yeah. Um, in a way that kind of reminds me of like the way you, you know, what you and John have, where it's just like Casey knows me as playing, you know, yes. Crash on my guitar because Dave Matthews is huge. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. You know, long before uh, whatever has gone on since. Um, let's go with Ricky Reed. Ricky Reed, again, I just genius, but also like, oh, I love him. Just everything. He's so good. And so like, he's such a good listener. And also so focused and like, I don't know, like he more than anybody else can like consistently just put together like amazing pop. It's like you just go in day, six hours later, like this is going to be on the radio, like just consistently, like every day, like and how and like is so good with like a group of people where like everybody's doing little things and he'll hear somebody in the back of the room who like, he'll be like that, you know? And like, you didn't even think he was paying attention. Paying attention. Yeah. You thought he was into what he's doing, which he was, but he's also kind of like the ambient noise in the room. Like if something happens, like he's so good at just pulling 
these things and and I don't know. He's just really good. We're in the mix phase Special. of what we've been working on and his meticulous nature when it comes to mixes. Yeah. Is something I've never seen in 20 years of being in LA. I've never seen anything like that. It's shocking. Yeah. John Ryan. John Ryan, best friend. Um also genius. Amazing. Oh, what about John? Has such good energy. John, okay, like, when we were in, we did the Jamaica camp, and, like, the whole camp, the the whatever, um, what was it, BMG and Big Deal had the camp at G-Jam, and, like, the end, the last night of that camp was basically everybody in John's room all making, like, this one, like, amazing thing that John was kind of, like, champ, like, just, like, the leader of this, like, there were maybe, like, 30 people in this like one little studio room all making this thing and just he has that sort of energy that like makes that happen like everybody wants to be in that room and making whatever kind of he's working on because he just does this cool I don't know it's a great song and like just yeah amazing Scott Harris Scott Harris he I mean everybody's a genius yeah these are like really some top of the line talent yeah Scott is so good at so many things. But, like, I always think of Scott as being so amazing at lyrics and so amazing at, like, tying a lyric together and, like, finding the heart of a lyric and just pulling that whole thing together. And he does that so well with Sean and is, like, such a... I don't know. He's just so good at that. And then he's also really good at, like... His guitar stuff is amazing. Like... Like, when we were doing Treat You Better, he was playing... It was kind of this thing, and at the last minute, he just kind of played the the main riff, and it was, like, this very simple... It, it had taken so many forms, but he's just... I don't know. And, like, it's like when I hear the Don't Let Me Down song, like, I can just so hear him in that. I don't know. He just he has, like, a very special thing. And I've known him. I've known him. <laughs> that sounds bad. I've known him for so long. We toured together when I was 17. (laughs) Oh, that's right. In his band, right? Yeah. Oh, crazy. Yeah. We, like, toured together for a few months, which is crazy. I love that. Um, You know what? I'm doing seven. I don't care. Okay. People can turn it off. Whatever. Screw you guys. Um, Julian Bonetta. Julian Bonetta. Okay. Again, genius. Now I have to say it for everyone because they just, are. But it's just all part of the same group. But you know, they each have their own lane for you. Like you have yeah. a publishing deal through the Benettas. Yeah. You know, you you were in high school with John. You toured with Scott. You do music with Ricky. Yeah. You're sign. You know, Casey's your publisher. Even though you guys are friends, these people are career collaborators which is why it feels weird not to give you a chance to say something about them totally just because they're all part of the same group you have individual relationships with all of them yeah you know so julian so julian julian is there is there is one um we were okay so we gave each other all names and john was the hammer (laughs) i was pussy ninja and julian was constant gardener and um, so 
but that I always I always think about that because he's so like he's so good at starting an idea and then like refining it and like getting to the heart of what it is and then like refining it and tweaking this thing and tweaking that thing and bringing you know ooh like this person would be really good to like bring into what this idea is and like you know it's so cool we do he does the 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 the, the Benettas do the camp the Palm Springs camp every year and he's like the perfect person to have at a camp like that because he's so good at just going from room to room and like just kind of like gardening all of these different ideas and like bringing people together and mashing them together and then obviously as a producer he's just like amazing and his sounds are amazing and like he just makes things sound so good um but also just his approach to like working on stuff and his vision for songs and like his feel for that and and his ability to like work with other people and and kind of like I don't know just like craft something is like really good and and bring people into stuff at the right time and like he's awesome your manager Ollie last one he's the best okay I wouldn't be doing anything if it weren't for Ollie when I met Ollie we started like it's hard to say because we have such like a good management partnership and I'd like met with a lot of managers and whatever and then we started talking and he just like got what I wanted to do and was able to like take like apply strategy to that and like work with me to like really do the sorts of things I wanted to do and like he's just like like moving through everything he's I don't know. He just like gets it and is able to kind of put one and two together. And I feel like I can tell him anything. And like he's always like I can kind of just like vent and tell him everything and everything about how I feel and where I want to be and what I want to do and not be afraid that he's going to be like, oh, bitch, you're crazy. Like it all kind of is like he's like, okay, and like processes it and then really just like helps me figure it out figure out like okay how am I gonna plan for like five years down the road because I'm so not that kind of person I'm very lucky to have somebody like him he's the shit well Teddy Geiger thank you Mm. for doing this podcast thank Thank you you for being my friend thank you for having me and being my friend um you're doing something that is Absolutely for a songwriter, just the absolute dream where you can both write and help define one of the world's biggest pop stars with them and continue to do that and then also be able to do so many different types of music, you know, and and to work with your friends and your friends still working with you it all says the kind of human you are that people have stuck with you through high school all the way to now. I don't know that many people who can say they collaborated with people from that far back and currently are still making music with them and progressive music and worldwide music. I I just can't applaud you enough for that and mm. thank you for for again for doing this. Uh thank you. You you are awesome. I feel so good about myself now. Good. Let's write <laughs> let's write a song. Okay. Okay. Yay. <laughs> Thanks. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silverstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Gold. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.